Lord, we give you all glory and all power and all praise, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing from this place here in Carpinteria. It's from you and it's for you, it's to you. May your name be exalted above every other name, Jesus. We love you, God. We ask this morning that you would teach us by your word, by the power of your word. We place our lives underneath its authority this morning. And we say, you have prominence in this place. You have dominion. Take your rightful place, Jesus. We believe that your word wants to correct every false thought and idea that we have, every false motive, every false doctrine, everything false. May it come underneath the scope and the lens and the power of your word today. And may we be transformed. May our conduct change, Lord. We're asking you to do this. I pray that you would loosen my lips and anoint my mouth to teach your word with clarity. I stand up here, Lord, for your name's sake. And I pray you bless your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We've been looking at this passage for the last couple of weeks in Hebrews 4. Actually, longer than that, but it's been so sweet. And what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to a couple of verses that we've looked at and then launch into a little example of that. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12. This is what we looked at, I think it was three weeks ago now. And it was about the Word of God. It was just a beautiful message about the Word of God and its power. It says, for the Word of God is living and powerful. Amen? Amen. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So that is the Word of God. It is powerful. It is potent. And then we read last week about the throne of God. Verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we see two great themes in this last part of chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews. The power and the potency of God's word, and the, of the word of God, and the availability and the access to the throne of God. We have power and potency in the word of God. That it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cuts us, it divides us, that we submit ourselves underneath its sharp scalpel's edge. And we allow it to transform us and cut off things that are cancerous, that are killing us. And then we have, by the grace found in Jesus Christ and his death on a cross, we have availability and access to the throne of God. Now, this morning I want to look at these themes exemplified in an Old Testament character. One of my favorite ones, his name is Daniel. So turn to the book of Daniel chapter 9. We will see this, the word of God and the power of the word of God... And responding to the word of God by going to the throne of grace that we would find help in our time of need. And we'll see this here in Daniel chapter 9, exemplified through Daniel's life. So as you're turning there, let me give you a little background about Daniel himself. Here in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is around 80 years old. Okay, 80 years old. He's in overtime. 80 years old. And as he's there... In Babylon, he's been there since he was a teenager in Babylon. Now, Daniel was taken captive to Babylon as a teenager. There was three different sieges sieges that Babylon took uh, upon Judah. And the first one, Daniel was taken, him and his friends, if you remember them, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken in 605 BC in the first invasion of Nebuchadnezzar on Babylon. The second one was 597 BC 
and, um, and Ezekiel was taken. So Ezekiel and Daniel were contemporaries. They lived in Babylon at the same time. And then lastly, the third invasion, the temple was destroyed in um, 587 B.C. So there were three sieges on Jerusalem. The last one, uh, the temple was ransacked and destroyed. Now, it's good to note for the rest of our study that Jeremiah was a prophet in Jerusalem during this time. He was a generation before Daniel, lived at the same time but was older. And he stayed in Jerusalem until eventually he was taken to Egypt where he would die. But he prophesied against Jerusalem that they would repent and that they would turn. He actually even prophesied and sent a letter to the captives in Babylon. And we'll read that today. So Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Okay, they all kind of fit together. Daniel was taken as a teenager. Now he was taken because it says in Daniel chapter 1, they want the best and the brightest that uh, Jerusalem had to offer. It took like an all-Israeli team of people. And Daniel was one of them. He was a teenager. He was bright and good-looking. He was probably buff and handsome and was so brilliant. And they're going, we want that guy to come serve us. So they took Daniel. And they changed Daniel's wardrobe. And they changed Daniel's education. And they changed Daniel's language. And they tried to give him new food. They even gave him a new name. They called him Belteshazzar. They completely immersed him in their culture. And so... But what we saw in Daniel chapter 1, what we see is that you could change his name, but you could not change his nature. He was a man, a young man of God. And they tried to give him some food. And this food was sacrificed to idols. It was food that was not kosher. And they tried to give it to Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, it says this. Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do all these things to the people of God. And it starts Daniel 1 8, but Daniel. It's like Daniel set apart. He's different. They try to do all these things. But Daniel was different. But Daniel, it says, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief, chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The, the word in NIV is he resolved in his heart that there came a time where Daniel said, this is the line I'm drawing. I'm not going to cross this line. I am a man, a young man of God, and you could change my wardrobe, and you could change my language, you could change my education, but you can't change my God, and you can't change my commitment to my God. You, and that's where he drew the line. And he did that, he drew that line as a teenager in the midst of this sinful society. And it sets up the rest of the book of Daniel. Actually, in Daniel chapter 6, which is kind of right before Daniel chapter 9 chronologically, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is in his 80s, and he is continuing in the word of God. He is engaged in intercessory prayer for his nation, and he's, that he served faithfully under seven kings and two different kingdoms. Seven kings came in to rule Babylon during that time. Daniel was pure and holy, committed to God through seven kings and two different kingdoms. Now, it says in chapter 6, verse 4, because these governors that were ruling at the time saw Daniel as old baggage and old weight, and they want to get, it, to get rid of him. They're trying to devise a plan to get rid of Daniel. How do we get this guy out of our kingdom? So they probably hired some kind of private investigators to find some sin on Daniel. Verse 4, uh, verse four in, chap- in chapter 6. So the governors sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They tried to find some charge. How do we accuse this guy to get him out of our kingdom? But they could find no fault or charge. They could find nothing wrong with this, this man. Nothing. Not in his past, not in his present, nothing. And this is why, and it says why they couldn't find any fault. Because he was faithful. Because he was faithful to his God. 
because he drew a line as a teenager, now in his 80s, still committed to his God. It says he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. The only way we're going to find a charge against Daniel is if we make his faithfulness to God illegal. They actually said, what we'll do is we know Daniel won't stop praying, so we'll make prayer illegal. And we know he's not going to stop praying because that guy always is praying. We could always observe him praying every, three times a day with his window open towards Jerusalem, praying. Let's make that illegal because that's not going to stop him. He's faithful. And they do that. And if you know that story, he goes to the lion's den and God delivers him. In the 1700s, there was a pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He was a famous preacher in the 1700s. At age 19, he wrote 70 resolutions right before he would enter into the pastorate. And it's, it, it was said that he read these 70 resolutions once a week for his entire life. And if you know Jonathan Edwards, he helped to begin and lead the Great Awakening in America. And I want to read you one of his resolutions. It's up on the screen. At the beginning, he says, Being aware that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And this is his resolution, one of them. I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved. That I will live just as I think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to an old age. Resolved. Right now at age 19, when I hit 80, how do I want to finish my race at 80? Then that's how I'm going to live my life right now. Daniel. How am I, in the question that Daniel wrestled with and the question that Jonathan Edwards wrestled with is, how am I going to live my life right now in light of the fact that if I live to be 50, 60, 70, 80, if the Lord tarries? How am I going to live my life? And Daniel wrestled with that as well. Daniel came to this pivotal moment in his young life where he had to answer, what kind of man am I going to be in Babylon? Will I eat from the king's table? Will I compromise my beliefs? What kind of man will I be right now and when I'm 80? Jonathan Edwards resolved that I will live my life right now like the way I wish I would live it if I lived to be 80. Now, the question is, how are you going to finish your race? Whether you're a teenager or 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. How are you going to finish your race? What kind of person are you going to be for Christ's sake in this world? A person of God's word, a person of prayer, a person of integrity, a strong marriage, If any of those things are on your list, then live that way today and set your course right now. Don't go, well, I'll do that once I graduate and I get a family and I'll be a lot better. Then right now, set your course and go, this is the way I'm going to go. And Lord willing, if I get to see 80, this is the path I want to be on right here. Daniel did that. And so did Jonathan Edwards. And Daniel, at a young age, resolved in his heart and he remained faithful to 80 years old. And so when we pick up in chapter 9, Daniel here is in his 80s somewhere, and we see him doing these two things up on the screen. He reads and he responds. He reads the Word of God, and he responds by prayer and supplication. Now, I know that is a super, super simple concept. I wrestled with it when I I put it together. I'm like, ooh, two R's, that's fun, but it's kind of simple, right? It's like reading and responding, that's as basic as it comes. It's true. But remember, in light of Hebrews 4, remember the power and the potency of God's word. And remember the availability and the access that we have to God's throne. Would 
It would be a good thing if the people of God read his word because it's powerful and potent and responded to God because there's availability and access to his throne, people. That we would do that, right? That we would get right that way. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Let's, let's look at this. Verse 1. In the year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God and to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So here, Daniel, an Old Testament prophet, is reading Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet. Okay? As a young Christian, this like tripped me out. I'm like, wait a second. Daniel's here, and Jeremiah is like right, right here. This guy is reading this guy. It's like they're right there. And, and this guy, Daniel, being a prophet of God, who gets the most gnarly revelation, some have called the backbone of Bible prophecy, he himself was a student of prophecy. He didn't go, no, 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 the Lord speaks to me, man. I'm spiritual. I've had gnarly dreams. I've interpreted sweet things for the Lord. None of that. He was a student of prophecy himself, being a prophet. May we be people of the word of God, though we have God's spirit, though we hear the Lord, though the Lord speaks to us, may we be people of God's word. And Daniel was. We see him here reading the Old Testament. A prophet himself, also a student of prophecy. In verse 2, it says he understood something by the, the Bible. Have you ever had those moments when you're reading the Bible and you just something clicks? You're like, oh, I shouldn't get angry or something like that. You know, something so simple. <laughs> or, oh, I shouldn't, you know. We have those moments where something's so simple, like, oh, Jesus loves me or something. And we just forget sometimes. And Daniel had the book of Jeremiah or parts of the book of Jeremiah. And just something clicked in his mind this day where he was like, oh, my gosh. He understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. Now, where did Jeremiah, where did Daniel read this in Jeremiah? Well, there's two possible places. The first one is Jeremiah 25 in verse 11 and 12. And it's up on the screen. It says this. Jeremiah prophesying, saying, And this whole land, speaking of um, the land of, of, of uh, Jerusalem, shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So possibly Daniel read this portion of scripture and was like 70 years. Now, notice a couple of things. The way, the way that Daniel reads the Bible. I think it's good to know how you and I should read the Bible. Number one, Daniel took the word of God literally. And number two, Daniel took the word of God personally. He took it literally and he took it personally. First of all, he took it literally. He didn't say, well, did God really say that? I don't really know if God said that. I don't know. He was, Jeremiah was just a man. I mean, I heard stories about Jeremiah. He was a super emo prophet, crying all the time, lamenting, wearing funny clothes, saying weird things, casting judgment. He was a weird dude. I heard stories. I've heard Jeremiah's stories. So he was just a man. I don't know if I would believe him. Daniel didn't say anything like that. He actually called it the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. It was God's word that God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. And so Daniel here took the word of God literally. He believed the word of God meant 
what the word of God said. Revolutionary, I know, but it's truth. And Daniel reads it and he's like, that's what it says. 70 years, it's almost 70 years. Now keep in mind when studying the Bible that when God wrote the scriptures through human authors by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he wrote it to be understood, not to confuse or baffle you. When God wrote the scriptures, or as the prophets were being led by God, they weren't going, oh, this is going to trip them out. They will have no idea what I'm talking about here. (laughs) Jeremiah wasn't writing the Bible going, oh, wait, they'll never get this. This is good. And then uh, some more of this. Peter didn't do that. Paul didn't do that when he wrote to Corinth going, I'm going to confuse Corinth so bad. It's for clarity. It's for understanding. It's that the man or the woman of God will be complete equipped for every good work, that you would know how to handle the Word of God and live by the Word of God. So Daniel didn't take it as obscure. He didn't take it as like, what does it mean, 70 years? I don't know. 70 years. And then he read it, and we'll see in a second where else he read this, possibly. But the cool thing is that you and I, when we read the Scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? We have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. Okay? Not only that, Britt shared a couple, or last, no, actually a couple weeks ago now, the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, or perspicuity. What a sweet doctrine that we have in this, that the, the Scriptures are clear to us. If we are literate and can read the Bible, they, they're clear. Or if they can be read to us, they're clear enough that you and I know the basic message of Scripture. Okay? Now, sometimes this takes work, but the scripture is clearly discernible. Scripture is clear, and not only that, it brings clarity into our lives. And so that's what the Word of God does. Second, Daniel took the Word of God personally. Now, you might take the Word of God literally, amen. Thank you, Lord, for that. But do you take the Word of God personally? That's something that I find myself is a little more difficult. I could say, oh, that sweet passage will be great for so-and-so. Or that sweet passage will preach. I can't wait to preach that passage. Or this passage right here, so-and-so should have. Or we sit in the, in the sermon, we're like, oh, so-and-so should so be here. I think I'm going to get, you know. Instead of taking it for ourselves, going, oh, that was, that, oh, that I need. Hurry up, finish. I get on the carpet or something. So we could respond to this. That when we hear, and I've sat here for a year as well and just been so ministered to and so convicted and so running over here and getting prayer and on my face and that we take the word of God personally. The way that Daniel read this, check this out. Daniel said in verse 2, I, Daniel, understood. Then I set my face toward the Lord. I saw it. I understood it. And then I responded. It wasn't like I saw it. I understood it. So I went outside and told everyone, hey, people, you know, or whatever. It was like, it was personal to me first. Daniel, and Daniel wasn't reading prophecy For some intellectual knowledge or just to have fun playing with the numbers in the Bible. Okay? He read it for transformation. He read the Word of God to be transformed. Andrew Murray said once, Scripture was not given to us to increase our knowledge, but to change our conduct. (laughs) Scripture is not here that that you would be that your knowledge would be fed, but that your conduct would be changed. That you would align yourself up to the Word of God. That's why it's there. Now, what's the purpose of prophecy? Real quick. The purpose of prophecy is conduct. If you've ever studied prophecy in the Bible, it's for your conduct and it's for my conduct. A quarter of the Bible is prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy is 
that we would believe. In John chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus is prophesying about Judas betraying him. And he says right after he told the disciples that he would, he says this. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am him. That when prophecy is fulfilled, that you would believe. That is the purpose of fulfilled prophecy. When we see prophecy fulfilled in the book of Daniel or Jeremiah or Isaiah or Habakkuk, whatever, that you and I would believe. But also there's a purpose in unfulfilled prophecy. Of 164 prophetic passages in the New Testament, not counting the book of Revelation, because Revelation is all prophetic, pretty much. Of 164 prophetic passages in the New Testament, 141 of them are directly related to conduct and to apparently give an effect to conduct, not just to increase knowledge. Most of them are for conduct. So when you study scripture, it's for your conduct, that you would change the way you live. And even in the book of Revelation, if you read that, the first several chapters are, are about the conduct of the church, getting the church right before it moves on to prophecy. Now, Daniel took the word of God literally, and he took the word of God personally. So here's the section. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29 with me really fast. This is the section that I believe that Daniel had, and I'll show you why. Well, at least he had this one. He might have had both. He might have had the whole book by then. But I believe he at least had this portion of the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. It says, now these things, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the, re, to the remainder of the elders who were carried, carried away captive, to the priest, the prophet, and all whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Daniel was a prophet. He was carried away to Babylon. Jeremiah sent this letter to the captives in Babylon. So I'm pretty confident that Daniel had at least this one in Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, it reads kind of like an epistle. It reads kind of like instructions to those who are carried away captive. And it says in verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this is the word. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons. Daughters, take your wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and and not be diminished. Verse 7, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in, the, in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams, which you caused to be dreamed. Now, there are people in, in Babylon that were saying, God's going to deliver us in just a short time. Don't buy houses. Don't. Don't even go into Babylon. Stay on the outskirts of Babylon because God is going to bring us back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah goes, that's a lie. That's false. You owe God 70 years. Get into Babylon. Build houses. Have gardens. um, Live in the city. Pray for the peace of that city. Those are false prophets. Verse 9. For they prophesy falsely to you in in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now, verse 10. Here's the prophecy that was given. For thus says the Lord... After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So they, got, they get the word that it's 70 years. You will be in Babylon 70 years, and then I'll perform my good word. 
But here it is. Here's the encouragement. This is the bumper sticker or your favorite verse on your fridge. This is where it comes from. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Do you see how, how meaty that verse is in its context? Do you see how just amazing that verse is in its context? There's people of God being dragged away from their city into Babylon, this wicked place that assimilates them by saying, hey, you can do whatever you want. You can live how you want. You, just, you can worship your God, but you have to worship our gods too, okay? I mean, let's just be fair about it. You worship your gods, but worship our gods as well. We're not saying you can't worship your gods, just worship our gods as well. And they're carried away captive, and the word from the Lord is, I know the thoughts that I have for you. I know what I'm doing in your life. I know what I'm trying to accomplish in your life. It's good, and it's not evil. It's to give you a future and a hope. But can we always connect chapter 12 to chapter, or verse 12 to verse 11? Verse 12 follows it, and it's as important. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Do you see why Daniel, we'll see in a second, why Daniel's response was, I read the word of Jeremiah, and then I immediately went to pray. Because what did Jeremiah say? Seventy years, I know the thoughts, you go pray. Daniel goes, 70 years, God's good, I'm going to pray. You see how he responded to the word of God? That he reads it, he believes it, and he begins to do it. And then it says, verse 13, And you will seek me, and you will find me. What a promise. When you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And so there we see that Jeremiah or Daniel probably had this scripture here, and so he responds. And let's look how Daniel responds in chapter 9, verse 3. Verse 3, we'll see, um, I believe, five ways Daniel responds to the word of God here in these, this short section. Verse 3, it says that he readied himself, that he readied himself. Look at verse 3. When he gets the word of the Lord, he goes and he sa- it says, verse 3, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So the first thing Daniel does when he reads Jeremiah's word and he believes it, it says that he set his face towards the Lord. That means in, in context and Basically, that that phrase, set his face towards the Lord in Hebrew means he took his eyes off of other things and set them squarely upon God alone. Nothing else. All other distractions he eliminated from his life. And he, he set his face, as we would say, like flint on the Lord. That nothing else was to get in his way. Nothing else was to distract him. He turned away from other things, other activities, and devoted himself entirely in response to God. And this is why... Church at Reality, we do a lot of the worship at the end of the service. Is that once the word of God goes forth, we believe that the word of God prepares the hearts of God's people to respond to him. That the word of God is being read and then our hearts go, what do we do? How do we respond? What do you want from us, Lord? And so we worship. And sometimes we come forward and we get on our face on the carpet. Or if there's not room, we get on the concrete. Or we go to the prayer team. Or we just sit there and just go, Lord, how do I respond to the word here? What do you want me to do? I want to set my face towards you, eliminate all other distractions to see what you want me to do in response to your word. 
Not only did Daniel set his face on the Lord, it says that he fasted. That means he prepared his mind to think of nothing but the Lord. No food. Have you ever done that where you sit down and you're like, I really need to pray about something. You sit down to pray and immediately, immediately your stomach goes, feed me. Just, I'm hungry. There's a snack in the fridge. Or just grab a cracker or something. You're like, oh, I am hungry. And we like begin to listen to our, our flesh almost. You're like, yeah, you're right. I am hungry. What am I thinking? I'm going to go get a snack. So we go and we grab a snack and we eat it. And we're like, man, it, on your knees is kind of crazy, okay? Maybe sit. Maybe lay. And then you're out. And later on, you wake up full and, and haven't prayed, tired, you know. And that's what happens sometimes. Daniel fasted. He's like, nope, I'm saying to my flesh, shut up. I'm saying to my body, no. And I'm going to set my face to the Lord. N- next thing it says, he put on sackcloth, which was this itchy, gnarly, grummy garment that he would put over him to represent humility and need. And he would put this uncomfortable thing on, like, I'm humbling myself in the sight of God. And next thing it says, he put ashes on his forehead as a sign of mourning and grief for the sins of his people. He was seriously doing business with God. With God. He wasn't like, oh, yeah, Lord, that was really, that was good. 70 years, cool. Your will be done. God wills it. Amen. He didn't do that. We'll see what he did in a second. Verse 4, we see here now he remembers. Now he's going to start to pray. He remembers. And he said, it says, verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, and this is his prayer, O great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and, who's, and those who keep his commandments. He remembers the Lord. He remembers that God is awesome, that God is great. If you have King James, it says that God is great and dreadful. He remembers who he's praying to, who he's talking to. The throne, what the throne room is. It's like God is great and God is awesome. He is high above. He's altogether righteous, altogether lovely. And I am praying to him. And he remembers who he's praying to. He gets the right perspective. It says, oh, Lord, great and awesome God. He gets his perspective right. If it happens to be off a little bit, he's like, no, no, no. God is great and he's awesome. And he keeps his covenant. So that's how he starts to pray. That God is great and awesome. In the book of Nahum, if you've ever read the minor prophet little book of Nahum, Nahum is prophesying about the, God's wrath on, on the Ninevites. And in that, in the beginning, Nahum pens the most, I think one of the most foundational truths about God in the midst of all the wrath, all the just God bringing vengeance, all this gnarly things happen in the book of Nahum. And it says in chapter 1, verse 7, a foundational truth about the Lord, the Lord is good a stronghold in a day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. It's like there's this foundational truth. And as Daniel would enter into prayer, he knew the foundational truth that God keeps his covenant, that God is holy, that he's set apart. He remembers that God is faithful to his word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, it says, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, he shall all, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is faithful. If God was to deny himself, it would be denying one of his names. His name is faithful, the Bible says in Revelation 19. So to not, to not be faithful would be to not, his name not to be faithful, which would be him denying himself. And he won't deny himself. He is faithful. So Daniel starts by remembering that. The second thing, or third thing Daniel does, verses 5 through 15, is he repents. Look at verse 5. 
He says this, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in, in the name of your kings and our pre- and princes to our fathers and all the people of the land. Do you notice something there? He says, what? We have sinned. We have done this. We. Daniel is one of the only major characters in the Old Testament whom no sin is recorded about. There is no sin recorded of Daniel. Actually, the opposite, as we read in chapter 6, they tried to convict him of something that he did wrong, and they could find nothing. Not that he was sinless, we know that, but they could find nothing wrong with Daniel. There's nothing recorded of Daniel's sin in the scriptures. Yet, Daniel says, we have sinned. He identifies himself with the sin of his nation and his people. Now, God has this church right now in a very, very sweet place. We are praying for gnarly places. You guys, we are, we're praying for like the coastlands, which is pretty gnarly, right? We're praying for Los Angeles, for London, for Stockton, and for San Francisco. God bless it. We're praying for these just gnarly cities. And if you've been to the prayer meetings in Ventura, a lot of the prayer that's been offered up for Ventura have been, Lord, we repent. The Lord has led led us in those prayers. We have done wickedly. We need to repent. We identify ourselves with maybe even other churches. Sometimes we have the temptation to disassociate ourselves with the church in America. Like the church in America is kind of lukewarm, and we, but we go to this church, or we do this, and we kind of like to disassociate ourselves with them, or disassociate ourselves from Christian fundamentalism, or disassociate ourselves with a denomination. And I don't know if we can really do that, if we are all Christians that believe in the foundational truths of Jesus Christ. If we can go, no, that's that church, I don't really know about that one, and that one fell, and that one's doing this, and that one's doing that. I don't know if we can really disassociate ourselves with them because we are called by the same name. We are Christians. And instead of going, um, look at that one. We're not them. We're not them. Maybe we should be like Daniel that would, we could start by mourning and repenting and saying, we have sinned. This is hard. Okay. I try, you know, when you're studying, you want to apply it to your life. And so I'm like, I started to pray, Lord, we have sinned. And there's a couple things I was praying for. And it's, it's hard. Because I'm like, we have sinned, but I mean, I, I didn't do that, Lord, but you know. Um, we have sinned. Well, I mean, that wasn't, I mean, I would never do that, but we have, and it's that temptation to fight, to identify, well, if you were to identify yourself with that and go, Lord, we have done this. And if we haven't done it, Lord, we are capable of doing it. Help us. By your grace, Lord, help us. And Daniel did that. Him who had no recorded sin, just as gnarly, awesome, if you've ever studied the book of Daniel, amazing man of God, committed his life to the Lord. Resolved in his heart at a young age, he is saying now at 80 years old, we have sinned. Verse 7, it says, he goes on, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. As it is this day, the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belong shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord belong mercy, forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. See what Daniel's doing? What we own, shame of face. What belongs to you, righteousness, glory, mercy, forgiveness. Us, shame of face. And he was right. 
Daniel says, shame belongs to us, but righteousness and mercy belongs to our God. Shame belongs to all of us. Even if we're here today going, no, I think I had a good week this week. I mean, I haven't really messed up. Maybe shame belongs to you, not to me. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There, there could be, there is a lot of room for personal repentance and then corporate repentance. If Daniel could do it and there's no recorded sin, I don't know how far a private investigator would have to dig to find sin on you. But Daniel, he couldn't. And he's even saying, we have sinned, Lord. We have done it. And it says that righteousness belongs to God, but shame of face belongs to, to us. Verse 10. We have not obeyed, he goes on to say, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed as to not obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. We have sinned against you. Notice, in the whole chapter of prayer here, Daniel doesn't play the role of a victim. He doesn't play, place blame on the people of God. He doesn't even place blame on God. Going, Lord, where were you at? Why did I have to come to Babylon? Why did you take me when I was young, rip me from my family? Why me? Why not somebody else? No blame was placed. No complaining ever. And he could have. He was taken from his family when he was young when he did nothing wrong. It was his fathers that were before him. But still he says, we have sinned. He actually went. Now, Daniel didn't just not blame somebody. He went the polar opposite. And Daniel completely identified himself with the sins of his people, with the failure of his people, the shame of his people, and most importantly, listen, the judgment of his people. He knew that he was in Babylon because of the judgment of his people that were rebellious. And he was there, and he said, even the judgment there, it says in verse 11, even the wickedness and the judgment is upon him. Now, did not the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately do that when he did that when he hung on the cross? Did he not take our sin and identified himself with our sin and he took it upon himself? He took our failure upon himself, our shame, even our judgment upon himself. And he did, yeah, amen. He did no wrong. He even said, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed even for us going to the cross knowing he did nothing wrong. He identified with our sin and our shame. He is a faithful and compassionate high priest. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus identified with us by humbling himself, by draping, draping himself with humanity, and being tempted in all points, yet without sin. The grace of God is amazing. And we see this exemplified in Daniel. We see this personified in Daniel. Though no sin was recorded against him, he's repenting on behalf of his country. Verse 16 and 17, next we see, now Daniel requests something. He's asking something from the Lord. After he's made himself ready to pray, after he's remembered the Lord, after he's repented, now the requests come. And these are the requests. Verse 16, O Lord... It says, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger 
and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Um, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Here he requests that the anger of God and the fury of God away from, would be taken away from Jerusalem. Now, against contrary opinion, or contrary to popular belief, rather, there is a such thing as sin and a righteous judge of sin. There is a God who has both anger and wrath. The Bible says in Romans 2.5, but in accordance with the hardness of your um, impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the, and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is a treasure you don't want. Okay, This is not the treasure you go, I want some of that treasure. This is not a treasure you want, storing up wrath. God is a God of wrath. But Daniel, knowing this, also knows that God is a God of mercy. And so he's pleading now and, and asking the Lord, according, not according to your wrath, Lord, but according to your mercy. Would you have mercy on your people? And as we pray for just gnarly places that the Lord is calling us, may we, we know that there could be judgment against certain cities. We know, oh God, you should judge that city right now. But we should be asking, Lord, according to your mercy, would you extend mercy to those? Would you open up their eyes like Daniel did? The heart of Daniel, Lord, would you extend your hand of mercy to them? Daniel asked God to turn away his wrath from Israel. And it says that he was praying according to God's will. Because in Jeremiah 29, that's what God wanted to do, right? He wanted to restore Israel. And Daniel now gets to pray right in accordance with God's will. And when you guys, you and I are praying that God would extend his mercy to nations, we are praying in accordance with his will because he desires that none would perish. And it's really good to pray the will of God. It's like, Lord, you have a heart for these people. We want to pray in accordance with your heart for this nation and these people. Look at verse 17 now. It says, Now therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications for the Lord's sake. Cause your faith to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. For the Lord's sake, not for their sake. Not Daniel was not asking because he wanted a better life in Jerusalem. He was not asking for a better family life or better peace of mind. We would have better peace of mind in Jerusalem, God. Would you do it because it would help us? Not according to them. He was asking because it would bring the most glory and pleasure to God. For his excellence, his name, his glory, his sake, that his mercy and his goodness would be on display for all of Babylon to see. That's why we pray. Not that, Lord, make a name for yourself, make a name for our church, or make a name for this, for this or that, or this denomination or that denomination or Christianity. Make a name for yourself. And save these gnarly cities, God, so that every, so your grace and your love would be on display for everyone in Ventura or everyone in Los Angeles or everyone in San Francisco could see that you are good, that you are love, that you forgive, and that you're amazing. That's why we pray for the Lord's sake, not for our sake, for your sake, God. Make a name for yourself here that people walk around going, the Lord is here. The Lord is among us. And the Lord has favor on that and on that and doing this and doing that for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, Daniel says that just like you did with Egypt, just like you did when you delivered us from Egypt, take us out of Babylon just like you took us out of Egypt. The deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt is in many respects the Old Testament illustration of the power of God and his ability to deliver his people. And so Daniel remembers that in verse 15. 
And he calls back on that, like, just like you did in Egypt when you took us out, God, and you, and you displayed among the nations that you could take a small, insignificant people, take them out of this big place and carry them to the wilderness and bring them into the promised land for your name's sake, to make your name and your renown. And Daniel was asking the same thing. Just as God was able to bring the people out of Egypt, he is able to bring them out of Babylon. And so Daniel prays. Now, you and I, the cool thing is we can rely on the track record of God. We can rely on God's faithfulness. We could call upon God's faithfulness. Go, God, you are faithful here and you are faithful here. Can you be faithful here? Would you remain faithful here, Lord? I would call upon your faithfulness. And lastly, my favorite part of this prayer is in verse 18 and 19. Look at it with me. And lastly, Daniel relies on God's mercy. He places, and this is so important, he places every single thing on the mercy of God alone. His whole prayer is now based on God's mercy. Verse 18, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear God. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city which is called by your name, for we, here it is, for we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Amen. We do not rely on our deeds. And Daniel, okay, he could have maybe came up with one or two good deeds. He could have went, he had a couple of them. He could have just pulled in one like, remember, Lord, I was faithful here. Remember, Lord, I've been serving you for like, since I was a teenager in this foreign land. And remember how I'm almost, I'm 80 something and I'm still serving you. Maybe could you hook me up a little bit? None of that. He could have, he could have relied on chapter one where he purposed in his heart not to sin. Or chapter two when, he, two when he sought mercy and interpreted this gnarly dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Or chapter three when his friends didn't bow down to the false idol. Or chapter four when he led Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. Or chapter five when he read the handwriting on the wall. Or chapter six when he prayed when it was illegal and survived the lion's den. He could have maybe went to any one of those, but he did none of that. He said, I'm only going to rely squarely upon the mercy and the faithfulness of God. And what we need to do, we have the tendency to rely on our good works. We have the tendency to go, Lord, I've been serving you for a long time. And I might I need to read like the rest of the young Christians that are just reading through all these books. I don't really need, I've, I've read a lot, I've done a lot of things. None of that's coming from Daniel's life. In the word of God, responding to the word of God, repenting. He doesn't rely on his past. He relies on God. And the other thing that we tend to do is not, we might not rely on the fact that we've been faithful to God for so long. We might rely on the fact that we haven't been faithful to God. Well, we might kind of say something like this. I'm not even going to bother asking God for that because I don't even deserve the favor of God. See how both of those places, everything squarely on you, not on the Lord. Both of those need to be taken and placed squarely on the person of Jesus Christ. We rely completely upon God. Everything else is selfish and wrong. So Daniel does that in verse 19. He says this, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people who are called by your name. It was the Lord's. It was the Lord's city. It was the Lord's people. And it was for the Lord's name. And that's why he's calling upon the Lord. So what do we do? This is, this is Daniel's life. And I, and I hope that you're encouraged by it. And as you read it, you're like, oh my gosh, look at Daniel. He was just doing stuff with the Lord. How do we respond? Well, I believe we can respond like Daniel. My prayer today is that you and I would respond in studying the book of Daniel the same way Daniel responded in his studies of the book of Jeremiah. 
When Daniel read Jeremiah, this is how he responded. And we read Daniel, and that's how we respond. That we would respond the same way to the word of God. And we have a lot of ways to respond. I think the first way to respond is by repenting. Maybe for thinking that, that it's this or that that I have access to God's throne. Or, you know, I've been doing this or I've been doing that. To cast that all that aside and go place it squarely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And repent for every false idea and false way that we thought. It might be to start praying. Up here, on, there's that list of the prayer meetings that we have. Maybe start to pray. Maybe we go, okay, one of those nights, I'm, I might have to skip dinner, but Daniel fasted, and I don't have to put on sackcloth, so I'm good. Come here and start praying. It might be something like that where it's like, maybe it starts to intercede for cities, cities that we're, where we've started uh, churches and asked the Lord to do a work there, that you would begin to intercede and to repent that God would do this. And I believe that there is still amazing prophecy unfulfilled in Scripture. And the command that God gives us when he says the Lord is coming quickly is that you and I would be ready. That we would be ready. And Daniel knew this was going to happen, so he readies his heart. He's like, Lord, I want to line. If you're going to do this, I'm going to line myself up with your word. And if the Lord's coming quickly, may we line ourselves up with God's word and go, Lord, you're coming quickly. We say, Maranatha, come, but Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be about your business. We want to be doing the work like Daniel did this work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you that, Lord, it's powerful, that it's able to change our lives, God, and I ask that we would get a sense today the response of your holiness, getting caught up in your namesake, Lord. May we decrease, Lord, and you increase. I pray that we would repent, Lord, I repent forever exalting myself above what you want to do or thinking that I have access to your throne because of me or my good works. We repent, Lord, on behalf of our coastline, Lord, and our nation, God. We want to see you, Lord. We ask for mercy, God. Have mercy, Lord. You are high and exalted, Lord. You are able to do anything, God. May you, Lord, get our eyes squarely upon you and your finished work, Jesus. And would you humble us, Lord, and speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you identified with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you took our sin upon your body, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that now because of that, we can identify with you, that we are Christians, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.